Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined as always by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We will also be joined later on by Caroline Fenton of 102.5 The Game. She is new in Nashville, and we're excited to get her on the podcast to recap some of the recent Titans training camp practices. She's been up at practice, so look forward to seeing what she has to say. We're also going to play the Ryan Tannehill game with Caroline Fenton. When I talked to Caroline and invited her on the show, I made sure that she knew the rules because we had some we had some discrepancy with that with Emily Proud last week. But but Caroline will be prepared. She will know the rules, and we're looking forward to having her joining us. One thing we also look forward to is all of you following us on social media. You can do that at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook. You can also subscribe to or follow the show on whatever platform you're using to listen. That'll give you easier and faster access to all of our new episodes. Let's start as we are going to start every podcast episode this season with the question of the week for our listeners to get back at us with their answers. You can answer the question of the week on Twitter, Facebook, at No Nonsense Pod. You can also choose an email. Email No Nonsense Pod. Actually, it's email No Nonsense. I take that back. Email No Nonsense at gmail.com. Matthias, what is the question of the week? The question of the week this week is which defensive players are you most excited to watch on Friday, which will be the Titans' first preseason game of the season? And a bonus one, tell us how much you actually care about preseason games. Can you not wait? Is it better than nothing? Is it meh? Or was last year was better? I don't really understand that last one. But <laughs> Will is the one who put the Will is the last one year with no preseason. I guess together. is what he meant by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, oh. the point of that is, would you prefer like some misers that I know that there's no preseason <laughs> at all and we miss out on that glorious product? You know, now, I'm part of that. But honestly, my tune has changed. I'm kind of pumped for preseason. Not, not to get off on a rabbit trail. I was never no preseason guy. I always said they should cut it down, which they've done. So I'm somewhat appeased. But, so, so question of the week, let us know which Titans defensive player you're most interested in watching this week when the Titans play in the preseason. I can say for me that that is Caleb Farley. And, and he is someone, guys, who has every physical and athletic trait that you could possibly ever want for a cornerback. But he hadn't looked very good in practice. He struggled with some mental things. 
Uh, he's had to work afterwards after some drills with, with Jack Rabbit Jenkins and Anthony Midget, the cornerback coach. I'm not trying to sound the alarm that, that he's a bust or anything like that because that's foolish. However, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on thinking, I don't know, that he'd be able to cover DeAndre Hopkins in week one. I mean, you know, someone might have said something like that. Yeah, we like all got to stop saying yeah, we all got to stop with that take. We've we've been so insistent on it. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go back on that one. I think that sounds like a jackrabbit job, after seeing Farley the first couple of practices. Yeah, it makes sense, and I'm not freaking out just yet. Like he's he's only been practicing a, a, for a couple of days, like a a week maybe most. Uh, so I'm not gonna freak out. We also have to take into account the fact that he didn't play at all last season he opted out he's also coming back from from back surgery uh like i I think we need to just relax i don't think it's too much to uh uh to to talk about really and we'll see we'll see how he progresses yeah i was gonna say the same thing you know he hadn't played football since 2019 and he's had uh I think just is it two back surgeries or one back surgery? I'm not, I'm not sure, but he's had a lot of work done since. I think it's then, definitely so. more than one. I think it's two. Okay, okay so at least two then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I back, suppose back if it's more, I suppose if it's more than one, then it would have to be two or higher. <laughs> yeah, that that would make sense. So yeah, like I, I you know, I I said this when he was drafted. The Titans truly took best player available with him. It, they have their starting corners if they want them in Fulton and Molden, who's, you know, tested in the slot based on, you know, what he did in college and how easy that transition should be for him. So that they've got plenty of options. So that, that doesn't concern me. It's just about what he can be, you know, six games into the season, 16 games into the season next year. Like how good can he get? Not necessarily where he starts out from. You know, with someone of Farley's athletic caliber, do you think we sometimes overrate the mental thing? Like, is there a part of this where it's just go and, and make plays and, and be good? Or or is the technique and the mental part like a major player in all of this? Of course it is. You can't just get by on, on physical traits. Yeah, uh, I'm with but you. he never has. Like he's been a very, a very technically gifted uh, and sound cornerback, at least during his time at, at Virginia Tech. Yeah, uh, and I just think he's knocking some of the rust off. I, I really do think it's too early uh, to judge, especially, especially in practice when you know you're coming to a new team as a rookie. Uh, there are just so many var- variables at play, especially in Caleb Farley's case, because of what we said with the back surgery, not having played in several years coming in with a new team as a rookie. Uh, there's just a lot, a, a lot left to be written uh, in his book. And we can't, we can't overreact to, yeah. uh, to a couple of practices. He's also probably going like, you know, a mile a minute. He's probably like all revved up, ready to go because he hasn't played in so long. Uh, he probably does have to like, you know, calm down and, and focus on, on the smaller things. Uh, and I think that's up to the coaching staff uh, to get that through his head. Uh, as he starts off his NFL career. I think it's a good point, Matias, about the rhythm, because this is a guy who has not played football in a very long time. And it's almost like, you know, if you were to tell the three of us, don't talk to each other for 18 months, no communication whatsoever. And then at the end of that 18 months, 
without a pre-show meeting, without a plan, get up in front of a live studio audience and do a great show. It would be horrific. And that's sort of what we're seeing now with Farley is that live show in front of the studio audience. And we're expecting him to, you know, have the rhythm of, of having done this every week for the last three years. And he just hasn't. Yeah, and going back to the original question, I think athleticism is uh, its more of a benefit. You know, you have to have a certain level of athleticism just to get to the NFL, but the more athletic you are, the bigger margin of error you have. So, you know, kind of like with Adoree when he was here, like he would do some dumb stuff technically and he would let people get behind him, but he was so fast that he could usually make up the ground and as long as he didn't freak out, he was fine. So you know, the more he learned to play with that, the better he was. And it'll probably be something like that with Farley, except, you know, he's six foot two and, you know, ran a four, three. So like, you know, that there's, there's reasons to assume that his upside is way more and that his downside or, you know, his floor is way higher uh, than a Dory Jackson's was, but you know, like he's going to have to remember how to play football. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about Shane Bowen because Shane Bowen is someone who back in March-ish, I was like his number one reamer, if that's a word. I reamed him. I, I hated the fact that they brought him back. I thought it was a terrible choice because the Titans defense was so bad in 2020. But then over the last few you know, a few months, and, and really over the last two weeks at training camp, I've begun to change my mind on it. And and, and I have changed my mind on it. I, I just wrote a column Tuesday or Monday afternoon titled, you know, Shane Bowen doesn't deserve, or, or Shane Bowen deserves benefit of the doubt for 2020. And, and here's why I say that. He, he Mike Vrabel put him in a position to fail. In 2020, I think it's that simple. Shane Bowen is a guy where you talk to anybody on the Titans and they're like, he's a great communicator and he's great at building relationships and relating to the players. Well, those were the two things he wasn't allowed to do in 2020 because he was still the outside linebackers coach. He wasn't going from meeting room to meeting room and he wasn't developing relationships with players. He also wasn't communicating because no one knew who was in charge, right? He said, he basically said that in his press conference. He said, you know, it's great that now, you know, everyone knows the buck stops with me implying that last year people did not know that the buck stopped with him or maybe it like actually didn't stop with him. And so my stance on Shane Bowen has changed in that I now think Mike Vrabel was the incompetent one for setting up a terrible coaching structure that was doomed to fail from the beginning in all likelihood and I think Shane Bowen deserves another chance. And, and as I said at the end of that column, if he sucks this year, he sucks this year, and we ream him. But I don't think it is fair to judge Shane Bowen for the 2020 Titans defense because I don't know how much of it was his fault, number one. And number two, I don't know how much else he could have done or how much better he could have done given the position he was put in. Yeah, it was just an absolute disaster. Mike Rabel completely dropped the ball. For, and by all accounts, Shane Bowen really didn't have as much uh, sway or as much leeway as a defensive coordinator should. Uh, it appears he's going to get that this year. And hopefully it'll work out better because it possibly 
I don't think it could possibly get any worse than last year. And, uh, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that Vrabel was the one calling all the shots and essentially acting uh, as a defensive coordinator because when he did it it, with the Texans, uh, I think it was only one year, they were the worst defense in the league. And the Titans were probably the worst defense in the league last year, or at least bottom. They were. They were. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so we can. I think we can connect the dots and kind of say that Vrabel was the one running the show, and I think it's time that he just admits to himself that he can't do it. He cannot run a defense, at least not completely by himself, uh, and I think that's kind of what he realized, and that's why Shane Bowen got promoted. Uh, whether Shane Bowen is, is qualified to be a defense coordinator, we'll find out. He definitely has enough talent on the defense to at least— have a respectable defense. If they're really bad again, then uh, Vrabel has to look himself in the mirror and Shane Bowen uh, will probably be gone. But I do think we can give Bowen a little bit of the benefit of the doubt uh, after all the new information we've been given about his role last year uh, and how much more pull he will have this year. Will, I sense a disagreement coming. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so, you know... The reason why Mike Vrabel and uh, LaFleur both got head coaching jobs why? it's because they were great communicators and they were good at building relationships. You know what? They were also terrible coordinators. So it's all it's cool. It's cool that he's friends in camp and it's cool that he talks to people and it's cool that people say he communicated. You know, I think there's, I don't know, 50 percent chance they're lying. Um I don't, I don't know. I don't think he's a good coordinator because when the bullets were flying, he made the same mistakes week in and week out. Even if he wasn't the guy making the calls, it's still a big problem because whatever he was supposed to be in charge of, he was doing a poor job at it because everybody, every level of the defense was bad last year. The defensive backs had a career worst year. The pass rush was non-existent unless Harold Landry could beat an offensive tackle. And the inside linebackers, Rashawn Evans looked lost all season, was running the wrong direction, and they never got that fixed. So, I I mean, go ahead. I I just tend to think that the primary problem last year was that no one knew who's in charge and no one knew what they were supposed to be doing. And that was not – neither of those things was Bowen's fault. Yeah, like – I think it can be two things. I think it can be that Vrabel completely mishandled that and didn't understand what he was doing. And I think it can also be that Shane Bowen has never added any value to a position group that's tangible. So, um, I don't know. Like, do I think that there's a chance that the defense could be good this year? Yeah, because John Robinson went, and if he hadn't spent a first or a second round picker on somebody, or they weren't already a pro bowler, then he spent a ton of money or high picks on them on defense. So, yeah, I think he replaced six of 11 starters. So, I mean, yeah, like he can probably make the defense work at a mediocre level, but I don't think it'll be because he's any better of a coach than he was last year. I think it'll be because. They said, look, here's a blank check. You tell me what you want. We'll go out and get everybody you need. And like we said five months ago, he was told this under the condition of if you're not the guy, you're the guy, and Vrabel can't protect you this year. And that we've got Jim Schwartz up in an office watching. And 
sure, maybe he's just an assistant for now, but I can promise you if Bowen gets fired, he's going to get some kind of attention. So, yeah, like, is there a chance that Bowen's a good coordinator? Yeah, I guess. Like, it, we just we just saw one year, and there were injuries, and it was a COVID year. Like, it was – there was – plenty of very vari- there were plenty of variables to explain why the year went poorly but we didn't go into that season thinking man this defense has no talent we we were all pretty confident that there was talent on that side of the ball and talent that didn't come back this year so you know they they made moves to get away from guys like Kenny Vaccaro they made moves to get away from Adoree Jackson Malcolm Butler like they I mean they were not that they were but not convinced I, 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 that it was th- an th- issue with coaching. Yeah, very clearly. And I think that the personnel turnover also works in his favor, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's good to have new guys because, one, you know, you can have everybody buy into the system and, you know, say those guys weren't buying in. That's why it didn't work. I mean, you guys I don't, buy I don't, I don't even know that buy-in was a problem. I don't know what Shane Bowen is supposed to do with a Dory Jackson and Jonathan Joseph last year, for example. Yeah, I mean, a Dory Jackson, I just don't think was ever healthy. Like, I think he had to rush back from whatever his thing was, or he did wasn't interested in playing, or what, whatever. He was, he was not great. But it's not just that; it's the three-man rushes on third and twelve. It's the drops in coverage. I think it's, I think that's Vrabel. Well, I, I, then how will we know this year? Like that, yeah. that's the thing. Well, we will. Shane that's Bowen, the thing. It, it the buck stops with Shane Bowen this year. So if it continues, we'll know. We we were told all last year that he was the one making the calls. It, Shane made the calls. Yeah. Shane's making yeah. the calls. Shane, like what what's going to be different this year? Like everybody says, oh, he's got the defensive coordinator title like that. He's, you well, know, he's I, going around to other position groups, which is fine. But like, we don't know that he didn't do that in the middle of the season. Right. Like, I I, I don't know. It's it's a very like I, 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 I wish I, well, he had well, some sort of background. <laughs> Let me say this. I don't know that like rushing four versus rushing three in hindsight really mattered last year because all the guys rushing except for Landry just kind of sucked. Yeah, well, it matters if you decide not to rush Landry. It, <laughs> that, if you take correct. The, one th- the one tooth from your toothless defense and you drop. But, you know, it's not even like it's not even just that. It's just that it was a combination of not knowing when and how to blitz, playing guys yeah. so far off coverage. That, I mean, we could tell before the snap where the ball was going to get thrown because we we're like, OK, there's Malcolm Butler. Look to the other side of the field. That guy's playing 10 yards off. Here comes a slant. Here comes a curl. It was that over and over and over again, and it was that way in week two, and it was that way in week fourteen. So, what whatever defensive mastermind, quote unquote, was behind that, they're still there. Yeah, because nobody got. I mean, nobody got fired. So, you know, is Jim Haslett going to be better at his job now because Shane Bowen is over there talking to him? Are, are the inside linebackers going to be better? I don't know. Are the edges going to be better now that somebody else is coaching them? Maybe because he we at least know that he was bad at that. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to be the one who's super negative because I'm generally not that way. But I, I think that Shane Bowen is definitely going to have to prove it to me. And even then, I'm going to go with it was the guys who were brought in this offseason, not he suddenly figured out how to use them. But, I mean, maybe, if you, you know, 
maybe if he does it two years in a row, then I'll change my tune. But it has to start with this year, I guess. So we'll see. Okay. Up next, Caroline Fenton from 1025 The Game joins No Nonsense. Joined now on the No Nonsense podcast by Caroline Fenton of 1025 The Game. She, When did you join? When did you start hosting with Jared? I came on board late March and officially started co-hosting with Jared early April. So okay. still in my first year, my rookie season here in Nashville. We're, we're thrilled to get you on here, Caroline. And you can follow Caroline on Twitter at CarolineFenton1. And I want to start with this, Caroline. The other day, you, you made a comment to me. You said you heard a TikTok noise coming from my phone. And then we, we had a little conversation about, like, you know, being detached from the youth in terms of making social media content. Later that day, incidentally, I uh, was asked to make a TikTok for the A to Z Sports TikTok page. And I spliced some videos together and got on the app. And I don't really know pop music that well. And so I, I hit the music button and then recommended music titles came up and I just hit the first one and then was getting destroyed in the comments. I never even listened to the song. So I'm going to play the song now and I want you to grade this song selection for me, uh, this TikTok song selection, uh, because it did not go over well with our audience. And just imagine this is coming over a video of Bud Dupree's first day as a Titan. Here we go. Okay, I got you. What do you think? I wish you could see me right now because my forehead is in my hands and I am shaking my head. <laughs> Come on now. Let's play. That sounds like a little teeny boppery. Disney Channel kind of song. Give Bud Dupree the kind of song he deserves. Some kind of intimidating, <laughs> heavy beat, you know, hard bass. That's what Bud Dupree deserves. That's what now but outside linebacker deserves. Not the sort of JoJo Siwa type of song. <laughs> The, the comments were fantastic. Someone on one, now. one of the comments was said, what in tarnation is this song? Teron Davenport's been giving me a hard time about it ever since then. I rebounded the next day. I, I picked a weekend song the next day, but but it was, it was not a good TikTok debut That's for me. Pleaser. Yes, exactly. And like I, like I said, the youths on TikTok are ruthless. They have no problem letting you know how they feel. The youths are are running rampant on the social media pages these days. But I think, I'm going to say you kind of deserve that one, but I believe <laughs> that you made a comeback. I believe in you. Hey, Caroline, Matias here. I don't have any TikTok questions, so I'm just going to ask a football question. Uh, as an LSU alumni, surely you've watched Titans cornerback Christian Fulton more than any of us. Uh, and what are your expectations for him this season, considering all, all the reports out of camp have been pretty glowing? Yeah, you know, I'm here for all of your TikTok and football questions. I really, truly am a jack of all trades here. But, um, you know, Christian Fulton in college was an absolute game changer. And I have seen a little bit of a decline in his play. And I don't know if that's because he's lining up against wide receivers that, you know, the, the size and the power and the speed 
speed of the wide receivers that he's lining up against in the NFL may be a little bit different. But I say that, and then I'm also thinking about how he lines up against Florida wide receivers, Alabama wide receivers, Texas A&M wide receivers, Auburn wide receivers on a day to, on a week-to-week basis in college. So it's not like he hasn't seen this level of competition before. But I do wonder, in Tennessee, is he just waiting for that breakout year? Is he waiting for that opportunity? Because at LSU, you know, he was one of the guys. He was one of your main corners. He was a game changer. He was a dog at LSU. He definitely disrupted some offenses. Uh, and was a key component of that defense, one of the best defenses in college football while he was in school at LSU. So I do wonder if he just hasn't gotten over that hump yet in the NFL, if he just hasn't gotten that opportunity. Because, I mean, last year when he was with the Titans, he really didn't get that much playing time. I see him out on the field in training camp. I see that he's maybe a little bit more timid than what I was used to seeing him at LSU, but I think that he is just a few games away um, maybe a season away even from making that big comeback play because in, in at LSU, excuse me, he he was an absolute game changer. He was a disruptor. So I think it's a little bit of experience. I think it's a little bit of confidence, and it's getting used to this defensive scheme. So when all of those things come together, I think that Christian Fulton is going to be huge for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, let, let me stay on that topic for a second because people were pretty adamant that he could play inside or outside. I thought he could be forced inside when they drafted him, but I've always thought he was a better put him on the boundary, let him square up with a wide receiver and deal with it. And then if you play zone every now and then, maybe he takes an opportunity and gets a pick or more likely breaks up a pass. Does he feel like somebody that you think, uh, having watched him way more than I have, that he could line up inside? Or do you think he needs to wait until? Jenkins is gone and go outside opposite Caleb Farley. Yes, yeah, I think he's an outside guy. I mean, they ran man defense at LSU. I think that's where his comfort zone is. And I think that's where you really see him shine is when he has his assignment, he has his guy and he goes after it. So I think he is made to be on the outside. I think he is, he's a man corner for sure. He's a man defender. Um, but I think that having Janoris Jenkins there as sort of a mentor, as a guy that he can learn from, I think that's totally something that he can grow into as an inside guy. I think he's completely capable of it. But I think where they are right now, and especially with Mike Brable taking such a conservative approach to practice, don't go too hard, don't go too far for really any of your guys. I think that you're going to see Christian Fulton line up mostly on the outside, um, but learning more and more from Janoris Jenkins. And I think with this defense, hopefully taking a few steps forward, um, maybe learning from some of those older guys and being able to fill in an inside slot. But for me, from what I've seen from him, he's an outside guy. All right, Caroline, we want your, as of Monday, August 9th at 7.12 p.m., Titans wide receiver depth chart. Okay, so I think that my first two guys, I think that y'all are pretty... I, I don't know. On that. I we might have all... some debate on the top two. So right now, I mean, just from what I've seen from Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown, I'm putting A.J. Brown in that number one slot. Um, A.J. Brown looks ready. I think you put him and Ryan Tannehill in a game right now, um, and, and they're good to go. Julio Jones, I've mentioned. I mean, I know that in Atlanta he didn't practice very much, but – Julio is a guy that he's coming off of an injury. He's he's coming into this 
offense completely new. This is, you know, he's never worked with Ryan Tannehill before outside of practice. So right now where it stands, week one, I'm putting A.J. Brown in that one slot, Julio Jones in that two slot. Um, You know, you look at Josh Reynolds as well. I like Josh Reynolds in the slot. Didn't love what I saw from him from practice today on Monday as it stands. Um, Didn't seem like he was going 100%. I don't know if there is some sort of injury going on there. He just didn't seem... Like TD put it today, he didn't seem incredibly explosive, where some of the guys, maybe a little bit further down on the depth chart, were hitting their routes a little bit sharper, were a little bit more explosive um, at the snap. So I still think you're going to see Josh Reynolds in that slot position, that number that number one slot position, kind of your number three guy there with Josh Reynolds. But I have loved what I have seen from Marcus Johnson. It's almost like every single day I'm out at practice, I see number 88 making game-changing plays, snagging. You know, he's good on the run. He makes some some pretty quality snags. He stayed after practice today um, just taking snaps from the jugs machine. So I like what I've seen from him on the field. He's putting in the work. And I I mean, right now, he's my number one not starting guy. He's my number one number two wide receiver, if that makes any sort of sense. Yeah. And then Chester Rogers has, has been a game changer out there yeah. as well. Really like what I've seen from Chester Rogers. I, I I was high on Racy McMath from the beginning of training camp. He's kind of slid down my, my list of wide receivers. I think he was a, a beginning of training camp darling. who's kind of, um, kind of shouldered off a little bit. He was another guy that I covered at LSU uh, who kind of didn't have the same – uh, field time that we saw Christian Fulton get because he was behind Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. If you know, if you've heard of those guys, they were pretty good wide receivers <laughs> in college. So not crazy high on Racy McMath as it stands. I think he'll make the team, um, but I'm going to need to see a little bit more from him uh, in the preseason. And I'm just I'm not high on Nick Westbrook Aquina. Uh, I haven't loved what I've seen from him. Seen some sloppy drills. You know, he's made some pretty decent catches, but as it stands right now, not super high on him. So. A very long, drawn-out way to say that AJ is my number one guy, Julio Jones number two, um, Josh Reynolds in that number three in that slot wide receiver spot with Marcus Johnson, and um, Marcus Johnson not too far behind from those those top wide receivers so far. Yeah, I I think it's interesting because well, number one, you didn't even mention Des Fitzpatrick, who was a fourth round pick, and I agree with you, he is not one of their six or maybe even seven best receivers right now. And then you you think about losing Nick Westbrook Aquina, who they seemed to like last year, but but I think you're spot on that he hadn't really done mm-hmm. anything in camp. I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch how this plays out, and I think the preseason is going to be where, where some of this gets sorted out even more than it already has. I think the preseason will be very telling, especially for these kind of fringe wide receiver guys. Because, I mean, you look at the wide receiver room from the Titans, let's say 2020 and a few years before. You were just scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to get a little bit of depth at that wide receiver position. And now you have a surplus of guys yeah. who are who look really, really good. There's a, a good competition in that wide receiver room as it stands right now. But like you said, I think that the preseason is going to be very, very telling. And I think it'll be very interesting to see who Grable and Todd Downing decide to put in in those preseason games. Is it guys that they're high on? They just want to see more of. They want these guys to start, and they just need more reps. 
or is it guys that they want to continue to battle out in that wide receiver position? So I think that will be very telling in the preseason. This is kind of a broad question, but what do you think could be the one weakness that ends up leading to playoff exit or maybe regular season downfall for the Titans? And on the contrary, what do you think is a strength that can get the, the Titans past the Chiefs uh, and into the Super Bowl? I Right now, as it stands, I'm a little bit concerned about the offensive line. I think there are a lot of question marks and a lot of injuries. You look at Tyson Brylow and Taylor Lewan, who are out at training camp on Monday. But that right tackle position is kind of a question mark. Dylan Radins, your second-round pick, who I haven't really seen anything that I've liked from Dylan Radins. I saw him get pancaked last week in camp. Saw him today almost getting get an ankle breaker. Kind of got uh, <laughs> staked out there at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, Dylan Radins is a guy that I think they originally drafted hoping that he would be a starting guy. And now it kind of looks like he's more of a depth guy there. Um, he's listed on the right guard position on the depth chart as it stands right now. Of course, that is subject to change. But I think your offensive line has really high upside, but also really far downside as well. So I think that could possibly be a weakness for the Titans moving forward. And I really didn't think that I would say this, but I think the corner position is starting to look really good for the Titans as it stands right now, really the D-backs in general. I think that you have a good mix of experience in the NFL and a good mix of young guys who are coming in and proving themselves. You know, Caleb Farley didn't have a great day at camp today. Mike Grable had to discipline him a little bit after he got, he looked a little bit lost in his assignment. He was just kind of standing there in the middle of the play. But I think that Caleb Farley has some work to do. He'll put that work in and you're going to see him starting more and more games. So I think that the cornerback depth, the, the DB depth in general, I think could possibly be an unexpected strength for the Titans this season. But I also have to take the D-backs performance with a little bit of grain of salt since you didn't see A.J. Brown out there at camp today. You haven't seen Julio Jones. You haven't seen their number one guys. But I think Jack Rabbit Jenkins is going to be a great leader for this D-back group for a lot of the younger guys coming up um, a little bit as well. And I think one, another area that I'm a little bit concerned about is the pass rush position. You know, you have Bud Dupree, who's coming off of an injury. He was out at camp today, looked decent, but I don't love the depth there at that pass rush position. You mean you're not excited um, about so John Simon? Of, you know what? And it is, John Simon is a wonderful person. I'm sure he's great. <laughs> great guy, no doubt. But uh, if that's who you are going to have as your saving grace, if Bud Dupree has to miss a little bit of time at the beginning of the season, don't love it. Not obsessed with it. So, you know, we keep running into each other on these topics, but talking about, you know, front seven, pass rush, all that kind of stuff, the only linebacker that I've heard anything positive about all, you know, nine days of training camp is Jayon Brown. As far as I can tell, not being at practice, there's no other linebacker on the field. Has anybody else done anything positive or negative that you've seen? Um, I saw a pretty good play from Derek Roberson today. Like what I saw from him, a pretty scrappy guy. Um, and then you're looking at Rashad Weaver, who has a ton of question marks surrounding him as well. I think that he's looked good in training camp, definitely has a little bit more to go. But with all of the, the legal proceedings surrounding him, you don't want to put a whole lot of stock in Rashad Weaver if you don't have to. Jayon Brown has looked great. Um, you know, Rashawn Evans, 
I haven't seen a, a ton from Rashawn Evans that I've that I've been absolutely obsessed with, but I think Derek Roberson is one guy who you haven't heard a ton of buzz about, but you may see him see a little bit more of him in the preseason at that linebacker position. But yeah, that is that is one area that I um, haven't seen a ton from so far um, in this in this preseason as it stands right now. All right, Caroline, are you ready for the Tannehill game? I'm ready. So if, you, if, if you're just tuning in, you haven't watched our other episode or listened to our other episodes this month, with all of our guests during training camp, we're going to play what we just call the Ryan Tannehill game, which is we go through the 31 other quarterbacks in the NFL, and our guests will tell us better, worse, or push compared to Ryan Tannehill. And we'll see where Ryan Tannehill falls in terms of NFL rankings. Now, as I was reminding you earlier, Caroline, this is right now. This is not upside. This is not mm-hmm. six years down the road. This is a, a game is being played tomorrow. Uh, we, we felt bad for Emily Proud last week because it, <laughs> it, it didn't go well because I don't think she understood that at first. But, but we've got the rules in place, and we're ready to go. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray. Oh, I'm taking Tannehill over Kyler Murray. I don't understand the hype surrounding Kyler Murray. I don't know if it's him coming into the league as a Heisman Trophy winner and, you know, all of this buzz surrounding Kyler Murray and his college career. It just hasn't come to fruition in the NFL yet. He hasn't really done much in the postseason. You know, he hasn't done anything really so far in his NFL career. So, you know, if we're talking about upside, sure. You know, I think that Kyler Murray could have a potentially successful career in the NFL. But as it stands right now, Monday, August 9th, I'm taking Ryan Tannehill. He's a more proven quarterback in the NFL. He's been able to bring his team into the postseason and has really been more reliable than Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is not a quarterback that blows me away at this point. So give me Ryan Tannehill over Kyler. Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson. I think I'm going to have to go with Lamar Jackson. We're about to get to a couple that won't even require explanations, but these next two I I think will still. The Falcons and Matt Ryan. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about... It's a tricky one. Who has a... It is a tricky one. I'm I'm going to take Ryan Tannehill over Matt Ryan. At this point, you know, Matt Ryan, 2016 MVP, he's 36 years old, you know, had a, a, a wonderful season last year, nearly, you know, over 4,500 passing yards, 26 passing touchdowns. He himself, I think, is a good quarterback, but he's not able to bring any sort of, any of that really to fruition for the Falcons as it stands right now, and especially Matt Ryan without Julio Jones, but give me Ryan Tannehill. I think that, you know, to use a a, a bad word that we've established that isn't a, a good word on this on this podcast, Ryan Tannehill has more upside. <laughs> uh, Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. Yeah, give me Josh Allen. Sam Darnold, Carolina Panthers. This one uh, should be fairly easy. Give me Tannehill. Yeah. Give me Tannehill. All right. Andy Dalton slash. I don't want my quarterback being ghost. Andy Andy Dalton slash Justin Fields, Chicago Bears. Yeah, give me Tannehill. What about your boy Burrow? Oh, you know this one is going to hurt my heart because I do love Joe Burrow so dearly. He's on my pop bucket on my phone. 
Um, but that's another thing is if you look at the sample size from Joe Burrow, um, he had a, a decent outing in his rookie season, didn't have a ton of success with the Bengals, but I don't think that had as much to do with him as it did his surrounding core um, and the rest of his offense. Give me Tannehill. Tannehill has a higher upside. Joe Burrow still likes, you know, like I said with Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow hasn't been able to do anything with the postseason. He will be dealing with some injury woes coming back into this 2021 season, coming off of an ACL tear last year. I love him dearly. I love what he was able to do for my LSU Tigers, but give me Ryan Tannehill. This is one that people seem to get caught up on a lot, and I don't know why. Baker Mayfield, Cleveland Browns. So I think people get caught up on this because are you high on Baker or are you high on Baker's weapons? Because I think people have trouble with this one because everyone is high on what Baker Mayfield is able to do with the Browns, having Nick Chubb, one of the top running backs in the league right now, having Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry um, as your pass catchers. I really like Baker fitting into that offense, but if we're just talking quarterback, give me Tannehill. I think he's a more reliable guy. You know, um, Baker Mayfield, people are low on him for a season or high on him for a season. Um, I think he's a little bit wishy-washy, and I think that he will bring a lot of success to Cleveland Browns, especially this season with all of the threats that they've been able to acquire on that team. But give me Tannehill over Baker. Former future Titan Drew Locke with the Denver Broncos. Give me Tannehill. Detroit Lions Jared Goff. Oh, Tannehill. Give me Tannehill. Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott. You know, I'm going to go Dak. And I don't know if this is the national media's obsession with the Cowboys and obsession with Dak Prescott that's getting to my head. But I'm going to go with Dak. You didn't really see a ton from him last season before he went down with an injury. But I think that Dak has a big comeback year. I think he has some pretty quality weapons. Now, if you're going to ask me who has the better record this season, the Titans or the Cowboys, I say Titans. But if we're just talking quarterbacks, I say give me Dak Prescott. Let's see. Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson. I think. Now, okay. (laughs) This is August 9th. Deshaun Watson has nothing but question marks surrounding him. Yeah, but. but We don't know if he'll be in prison this season. (laughs) Deshaun Watson without his massage tendencies. How about that? Ah, yes, yes, yes. I always have to clear that one up. Um, then give me Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in this league. Yeah. Um, you know, if I am John Robinson, I'm not racing to go pick him up with his massive contract and his um, in his court date, but. Barring any sort of legal trouble, give me Deshaun Watson over Ryan Tannehill. I think he's a much more effective quarterback. I'm going to skip over the Green Bay Packers and go to Carson Wentz, question mark, Jacob Eason, question mark, and the Colts. This one should not be that hard, I don't think. But some people want to make it hard. Yeah, give, give me Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. I don't know what it is with people's obsession with Carson Wentz. It's not 2017 anymore, people. L.A. Rams, Matthew Stafford. You know, this is a tricky one because I don't want to get blinded by the Matthew Stafford's in L.A. and all of a sudden he is going to make – he's a totally different quarterback. He's a totally different guy. But I think I'm still going to go Matthew Stafford. 
um, over Ryan Tannehill because you think about what Matthew Stafford was able to accomplish in Detroit. You know, he was able to get to them to the playoffs. He has not yet had a win in the playoffs. But I think that if you plug Ryan Tannehill into that Detroit Lions team, they have a lot less success than what Matthew Stafford was able to accomplish in Detroit. So give me Matthew Stafford. I'm still not out on the fact that he could not be the answer that the Rams were looking for. But I think that, you know, with what he was able to do with Detroit, with an absolutely horrific roster around him, um, he he definitely is a more effective quarterback. We will skip over the Kansas City Chiefs and head to Kirk Plexiglass Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, give me Ryan Tannehill. Thank you. I'm out on Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I'm out on Kirk Cousins. Because, because of the plexiglass old. or the football? I think well, because of the football, but the plexiglass doesn't really help. <laughs> what about Jags, Trevor Lawrence? Give me Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, I, and I sound silly saying that because who am I to say no to the number one pick in the NFL draft? But he has zero NFL experience. If we're talking about sample size, who do I want there week one as my starting quarterback? I want the guy with a little bit more experience. I know you like the Saints, so this one has to be depressing. Jameis Winston slash Taysom uh-huh. Hill or Ryan Tannehill. I think we can chalk oh, that one up. give me Ryan Tannehill yeah. for all that is good and <laughs> well in this world. Jameis Winston. Uh, I'm sure y'all saw the, the video of the him. wide receiver condoms. You love it. Or running yeah. back condoms, whatever love it was. Love to see that. <laughs> whatever it was, was so embarrassing. Jameis Winston, you know, I think he, he can be an incredibly effective quarterback, but he can also be horrific. Next up, New York Giants and Danny Dimes. This one's pretty easy as well. Tannehill. Yeah. Danny Ale- Tannehill. LA- All I need to say is throwback to that that run that Daniel Jones had that was wide open in the end zone, and yes. he just ate it. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. L.A. Chargers, Justin Herbert. Now, this one I had a little bit of problem with because I keep talking about sample size. Give me the guy with more experience. Give me the guy that I have seen more success with rather than tough games. Because, you know, Ryan Tannehill has had his his low moments with the Titans, of course. I think I'm going to go with Justin Herbert. I really like what I saw from Justin Herbert last year. Of course, rookie of the year in the NFL last year. Um, he's just an incredibly intelligent quarterback. I think he's an incredibly well-rounded quarterback. Um, so I hate to go against what I've been talking about this entire time in terms of sample size. And Justin Herbert hasn't done anything in the NFL yet. But I really like Justin Herbert. You yeah. know, and Company last well, week, we talked about teams that in the AFC that we were afraid of. And I said I was kind of afraid of the Chargers for no reason other than Justin Herbert. We, we picked Herbert over Tannehill when we did this, so I think you're right on track there. Philadelphia Eagles, just Jalen, not Justin, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, give me Tannehill. Um, you know, I really don't see Jalen Hurts as a starting quarterback in this league. When he was originally drafted by the Eagles, I thought that they were going to utilize him more so in like a Taysom Hill kind of role, more of like an offensive weapon who can – yeah 
play wide receiver who can run some routes for you and then also play quarterback as a plug and play wherever you need him. But I don't see him as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And, you know, prove me wrong, Jalen Hurts, but where it stands right now, Ryan Tannehill. San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy G slash Trey Lance. Give me Ryan Tannehill. I know Jimmy G was able to bring um, the 49ers to the Super Bowl not too long ago, but was that Jimmy G or was it their incredible offensive core that really got them there? Yeah. Miami Dolphins, Tua Tungavailoa. Oh, Tua. Tua has a, has a big season ahead of him because oh, yeah. I wasn't totally thrilled from what I saw from Tua this past year. I think this is really going to be telling. Um, you know, a guy's rookie season, I'm not going to bring his stock down incredibly because of that because Tua walked into a really difficult position there. I think the Dolphins could possibly be an AFC sweeper this season, but I'm still going to take Panahill. New York Jets and Zach Wilson. Panahill. New England Patriots, Cam Newton. You know, this is a tough one. Are we talking about Cam Newton as of, you know, what he was before? Or are we talking about Cam Newton now? Now. Because Cam Newton last year with the <laughs> Patriots. Cam Newton now? Yeah. Take you, Ryan Panahill. Um, Cam Newton looked atrocious with the Patriots last season. I think that Cam's Days in the sun as an NFL starting quarterback are behind him. So, see McCannahill. Uh, let's see. Make sure I didn't miss anything. TB12 with the Bucks. Yeah, TB Brady. I feel pretty confident yeah. about, about Brady. How about seven, seven rings over there. How about uh, Russell Wilson, or, or as he calls himself, Mr. Unlimited. Mr. Unlimited. How uncomfortable is that? <laughs> that was the worst. Um, give me uh, give me Russell Wilson. I mean, his ability to be a threat, not only in the passing game, but in the running game as well. I think he's an incredibly well-rounded quarterback. I think he's a leader in that offense. Um, give me Russell Wilson. Now, now, this one right here, for whatever reason, seemed to perplex Emily last week. Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. <laughs> Oh, God. Give me Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> I mean, Big Ben has found an incredible amount of success in the league. He's been in the league for a long time. I know Mike Tomlin is really high on Big Ben being his starting quarterback this year. He's old. He's fat. Give me Ryan Tannehill. Last one. Fitzy. Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Washington football team. Talk about a guy who's just old. Um, give me Ryan Tannehill. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he doesn't really do anything for me. I mean, you had, he had 2000 ish passing yards last season, 13 passing touchdowns. His, his, I don't see an incredible amount of upside for, for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, there's a reason why he's on his ninth team in the NFL in 2021, you know? So if I did this math, right, you have Tannehill as the, 13th, or excuse me, the 12th best quarterback in the NFL. I think that's pretty fair. I think that is pretty fair, especially when you look at Deshaun Watson. If you're throwing his legal proceedings out, I know there were um, a few lists in there that didn't have Deshaun Watson in the top 10, but if we're talking no legal proceedings, throw Deshaun Watson in there. I do think that Ryan Tannehill is a top 10 to top 15 quarterback in the league, and um, I think he's having an improved defense this year. Having Julio Jones as a pass catcher for him this year, I think that's when people are start, going to start to realize that Ryan Tannehill 
is up there with the big dogs. I mean, he's not, he's not in that top tier of Mahomes, Rogers, Brady, Russell Wilson, but he is a, a definitely a top half quarterback in this league. Real quick, I just realized I skipped over one, and it was one that we were actually really eager to hear your answer on, and that is Las Vegas Raiders and Derek Carr. Yeah, Derek Carr is one that I, I thought about him. I thought, who would I really rather take? Derek Carr, to me, is a 500 quarterback. He's an 8-8 eight and eight win quarterback. He's effective. He can get it done for your team. But I don't think he's necessarily a game changer. So I, I, I did struggle with this one a little bit, but I do take Tannehill over Derek Carr. I think when I was listing this out um, to begin with, the only quarterbacks that I had above Ryan Tannehill were Mahomes, Rogers, Brady, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Matthew Stafford, Zach Prescott, Deshaun Watson, and Justin Herbert. So that would fall in line yeah. with me taking Tannehill over Derek Carr. Caroline, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Yeah, thank you all so much for having me. I'm here for any and all of your TikTok song needs. <laughs> well, we would love to have you back on at some point during the season, whenever that uh, materializes and makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Anytime you'll need me or want me, I will be here. Again, you can follow Caroline on Twitter, at CarolineFenton1. Certainly glad to have her on. That was a lot of fun. Got a couple more topics we want to discuss, though, before we wrap up. And first of all is what Titans outside linebackers coach Ryan Crow revealed about their approach to coaching Harold Landry in training camp. According to Crow, Harold Landry is on a speed dip prohibition in training camp. They're only letting him do things that are not speed dip. In an effort to finally get him to have a secondary pass rush move. We've been talking about that for his entire NFL career. Now, I'm not dogging him. You can be a Hall of Famer with one pass rush move. It's just like, and I'd, I'd feel the same way about people talking about Derrick Henry learning how to catch. Like, dude, it's just not going to happen. It's over. Forget about it. He's fine at what he does well. But I kind of don't mind this. Like, maybe this is the way to have him develop a secondary pass rush move is you force him to only use one in practice. I know Will disagrees. Yeah, I was going to let Will just just rail on you. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, I, okay, I can for sure go. So, okay, let's <laughs> use that example you talked about earlier with Derrick Henry. Do you think it would be a productive use of his time if they said, hey, Derrick, we only want you to come in on passing downs? Uh, for the entire training camp. We never want you to run the ball. Now, there's a chance you'll say yes. And I want you to keep in mind that everybody on the other side of the ball also knows that it's going to be a run and play whenever he comes in, just like every offensive tackle knows, okay, I don't have to kick set. I got, my kick step doesn't have to be so deep because he's not going to try to rip and bend on the outside. Like, the, there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what a counter move is supposed to be. You, to set up a counter move, what you should do is you should take what you're good at, like let's say like a dip on the outside, and you should counter that because the offensive tackle has to cheat that way. If you don't make the offensive tackle cheat that way, there's no reason to develop a counter move off something that's not there. So 
let's say he's trying to work on a spin move. The only way a spin move is ever going to work is if you have enough speed to threaten somebody upfield. Well, if I'm any offensive tackle in camp and I see Harold Landry, I know I'm immediately going to take a short set and I'm going to go and I'm getting hands on him quick because I don't have to worry about him dipping underneath me or whatever, because I know he's not allowed to do that. Like in a vacuum, it sounds cool because it, it, if you want somebody to learn this, why don't you just teach them this? And I understand that. But to me, the practicality of it isn't there. Like, this is a game of inches. Think about how different it is when players have pads versus when they don't. You know, when they are allowed yeah. to get physical in routes versus when they have refs there. Like, there's little things that make big differences that translate to games. And I don't think he's going to get anywhere working on the only the things that he's not good at. You know, yeah. Go, go ahead, Matias. No, I'm I'm kind of on on both sides of this. I I do think it's important for pass rushers to be good at pretty much everything, but I don't know if I don't just prefer that he becomes the best at one specific thing. I don't know if that actually helps at times more. Um, and if they do go that route in terms of just you know focus on this, just focus on being a speed bandy edge rusher. Uh, if you do commit to that, I I would like to see them move him around, like move him to the other side. Don't only let him rush from one side and switch him with Bud Dupree because Bud Dupree is a completely different pass rusher. And that way you can give both offensive tackles, you know, different ways to attack them instead of making Landry kind of forget about the speed rush uh, in training camp and making him focus on something that he may never be good at. Yeah, you know, when I first heard Crow say it, I thought, yeah, that's that's a pretty nifty idea. But, Will, I think you make a good point that, you know, it sounds like a good idea. You hear it, on, and on the surface, you're like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. But when you dig deep, it it's problematic, like you said. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's just like, it, if you did it with anybody, like, I'm trying to think of somebody who, like, Dwight Freeney was really good at a spin move, right? So it's like, let's say you told Dwight Freeney, okay, you're not allowed to do your spin move the entire time you're in camp. It's like, okay, well, now nobody's going to be afraid that they're kicking too far out and they're just going to cheat on the outside. And I'm only six foot two and, you know, I'm not, I'm not Miles Garrett. Like, you know, he's not built like a superstar. Like, why not instead say, we're only going to work on your speed move. And then when I see somebody beating you over and over with the same technique, what we're going to talk about is how you should attack that technique. But I mean, whatever, like, you know, it's a Shane Bowen, I guess, Ryan Crow thing. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but history has shown that it will be bad. People like it on Twitter. I should say this is, this is a very like, rebellious take or whatever from me i i don't like it i don't think it's practical um but i mean maybe it will be but not not what i yeah not what i would have done to be fair i don't know that you've ever liked anything that a titans defensive coach has done since dean pease left now let me say this i really like williams the defensive line coach that's i think he does a good job I think he gets a lot, and I think McKenzie got a ton out of the linebackers when he was here. Like, and and I like Coombs, but you know Coombs is part of that Dean Peace tree. But it's like that they're like they've got good coaches, or they've had good positional coaches in the past. 
But it's a lot of guys right now who are friends with Mike Vrabel who are on that staff, and that makes me very nervous. One last topic before we do stop the nonsense. Caroline brought it up briefly, the offensive line, but but right tackle in particular. Is it a problem? I, no, I don't think it's a huge problem just because the rest of the offensive line should, in theory, be great, uh, especially if Luan comes back from his injury and is just normal Luan. Uh, because Saffold, Ben Jones, and Nate Davis were awesome last year, and I'm expecting them to be awesome again. And Sam Bradley was fine. Like, if he's going to be the starter, he was perfectly fine when it, when he came in uh, for Luan last year. Uh, I don't remember if he played a little bit of right tackle also uh, in certain situations, but he was very solid. So I don't feel awful if he's the starter. Uh, Kendall Lamb really didn't play all that much with the Browns, but uh, he did have a high PFF score in like 113 snaps. Oh, because we definitely like cite that, so that on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I because I didn't watch him, so I'm just assuming PFF <laughs> at least watched him, uh, and, and I could take a, their a their grade assumption. somewhat, somewhat into somewhat into account. But I'm gonna be honest, like I'm not not concerned, but uh, I'm surprised that Braden is, is just not even. I mean, he was listed as a guard, right? In the in the unofficial depth yeah. chart, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he wasn't even he wasn't even listed at right tackle, and we drafted him to be our starting right tackle. Like we spent a second round pick on this guy, uh, especially for an offensive lineman. If you spend a second round pick on someone, you're expecting them to start very very soon. And the fact that he's not even listed on the depth chart as the right tackle and is listed as a right guard is. Is bad, man. Like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I thought he was gonna come in and start right away, just because we had that hole, uh, that hole at right tackle. But that doesn't seem he doesn't even seem close to, uh, close to playing at all. Yeah, the whole right guard thing doesn't bother me really because if you remember when they drafted him, his immediate like press conference right after he talked about how he plans on going in and learning the playbook at right tackle, right guard and left guard, which I thought was weird at the time because they don't need a right guard or a left guard. They need a right tackle. But I think the plan has always been, and now I don't, I don't know this. There's, this is just me kind of trying to read between that comment and them also saying that they've tried him at multiple positions at camp. But I think the plan has always been, if he and a veteran are even, we'll let the veteran play. And then if Raidens is too good to leave on the bench, we'll put him in at right tackle. But we're really trying him out a little bit for left guard. If something happens to Saffold, a little bit at right tackle, a little bit just kind of a swing guy to find where he fits in the whole mix of the offensive line. But, I, you know, I'm a much bigger Sambralo fan than – uh, and then a lot of people, because I wrote an article after uh, Lawan got hurt, where I talked about how the Titans scored more points per drive when Sembrella was in than when Lawan was in. And I believe that lasted until he got hurt. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But at the very least, it shows you that in the NFL, you can score a lot of points with Sembrello on the field. So I, I like I'm not too worried about it. Because at the end of the day, you're going to end up with the best slash the healthiest of Kendall Lamb, Ty Sombrello, and uh, Dylan Radens. And I know 
what Sambralo's floor is. So I have to assume if somebody beats him out for that job, they're good. If not, then you just have like a C-plus player there, and I think that's fine. Will, do you think there's a major drop-off between what they had in Dennis Kelly and what they'll get from Lamb or Sambrilo? Uh, it's hard. It's really hard to say. Uh, I think it, and it, a lot of it depends on the offense. I think it's so hard to call a defense knowing that you have to contend with Derrick Henry and two real wide receivers on the outside. I think that and this whole wide zone and boot back the other way, I think defensive linemen have to stay in their lane so much that it's pretty easy to be the backside guy. And if you can just square up and maul the guy in front of you when you're play side, you can kind of manipulate everything around that. Like you can set the strength to the left side and then run to the right side when they're undermanned. So you can scheme around those problems. Uh, I, I I don't know. Like I think last year we saw that any human body will work at offensive tackle for the Titans. Like Luan is special and he can give you some special plays. But if you don't have a special guy, it really doesn't matter because they picked Questenberry up off the street and he played well. Sambralo was somebody that nobody remembered the Titans signed him and until he had to step in the game against the Texans and he played well. Like there's they they kind of showed that it wasn't a premium position, which is why I was curious that they spent a second round pick on it. But I think that's more for cost issues down the road. But I think I think they'll all be fine. I don't think there'll be a big drop off. Well, and I think Keith Carter deserves a lot of credit for the fact that they're just able to pull guys out and throw them in. Yeah. Like for, for all the flack I gave him and everybody gave him early oh, we on all did. because Matthias, yeah, Matthias had guys, one of my favorite tweets of all time from our account. You remember, you know what I'm talking about, Matthias, right? Yeah. Keith Carter was public enemy. Number yes. one, <laughs> when our offensive line was just simply horrendous. I think yeah. they gave him like seven sacks against the Ravens oh, or something like more. that. It was like, it was nine. more, right? Yeah, it was nine or ten against the Ravens, and then we did uh, almost just as bad versus the Jaguars the year after. Like that, I mean, that was 2019. Like people forget that in 2019, in Week Two, the Titans lost to the Jaguars, and it was because they ran over Jameel Douglas with Calais Campbell over and over and over again. It was brutal. It's time for Stop the Nonsense, guys. And I, and I should say before we start Stop the Nonsense, if, if there's a guest you want to have on the podcast, you want to play, you want someone to come on and play the Ryan Tannehill game before training camp's over, let us know, and, and, and we'll get them on, and we'll have a good time. Also, let us know if you see any Stop the Nonsense material. We always have people sending us stuff, and we love when we get that stuff. Uh, but it's time for Stop the Nonsense, and I will lead us off with my Stop the Nonsense. Which is this. It's the fact that for whatever reason, I, I can't ever seem to have like medical things go easily for me. Ever since I was little. But, but today we're just going to talk about vision. Because a few years back when I realized I wasn't seeing very well, I went to the eye doctor for the first time. And they said, A, you're barely legal to drive. And two, you need three eye surgeries within the next year. Fast forward two years. It's time to update my glasses prescription. Go in, get read, have my you know, checkup, whatever you want to call it. Get the prescription, take it to pharmacy, 
they, they, they make the glasses for me, and I put them on, and it was like looking through a kaleidoscope, all right? Have to go back to the eye doctor, come to find out that the person or the doctor I saw the first time was young and new and, and wasn't in terribly uh, keen or, or nifty at being able to adapt a glasses prescription for the eye disease that I unfortunately have. And, and so the prescription was bad, but I had to get a new one. But it's been like, and I've told you all like more details about this. It's been like a two-week ordeal just to get a pair of glasses. And like, God, I, I'm, I'm worn out from run, running around trying to get a pair of glasses. I hope that, that when I when we come to you next week, I'll have a pair of glasses. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's uh, looking more hopeful. But my, my stop the nonsense is just the fact that for me, I can't just go pick up a pair of glasses. It has to turn into a two-and-a-half-week ordeal. This scares me because I've actually been thinking about getting a pair of glasses because I haven't gotten an eye exam in like five years or something like that, so I'm definitely due. Um, but I'm scared now because of your experiences just trying to get a pair of glasses. I mean, I prefer just having 20-20 vision. You guys should try that. It's much, <laughs> much yeah. easier. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about somebody who go from uh, talking about somebody who can't see to somebody who can't see the future and that is Urban Meyer which is my stop the nonsense where earlier this week he talked about uh, how it's unfair to the current players that he that he do anything that would possibly suggest that a rebuild is going to take more than one year and how he expects to win this year and not have to wait for that success or build anything and the reason I loves love this so much as a Titans fan and hate it so much as just a football fan is because it's another indication that Urban Meyer just does not understand how the NFL works. Um, he thinks it's just like college football and he got a really good recruiting class. But for some reason, there's a disconnect in his brain where he thinks that nobody else has talent or that he's going to be able to run the same thing over and over like he did in college. And, Look, again, as a Titans fan, you should be pumped about this because he's going to ruin Trevor Lawrence. He's already doing the thing where he won't decide on who the starting quarterback is, and he's saying this and that, and he's hemming and hawing over it. Meanwhile, Trevor Lawrence is having bad practices that nobody's talking about, which is why you haven't seen clips of him on NFL Network over and over and over. It's because he and Zach Wilson have both had a really bad uh, training camp so far. Um, add in a hamstring injury and a team that's poorly constructed and their top 10 corner from last year wanting to leave the team already. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's a cyclical nature that you can see in Jacksonville. So for Urban Meyer to come out and not only say, Hey, uh, this rebuild isn't going to take any longer than one year is just it's just so offensive to hear. Like, I, I mean, I can't wait for what happens at the end of this year when he has to, you know, go back and explain those claims. But just it, it is the absolute definition of nonsense. He's goofy. He's bad and dumb. Matthias, close us out. For for sure. Yeah, sorry. I'm trying to get all these pro football reference tabs aligned. But... <laughs> I'm just going to start my start my stop the nonsense. So I'm sure you guys have seen this video. Uh, Wes on Broadway at Titans Draft Tape uh, tweeted out. It's a clip from Get Up ESPN. 
I don't watch ESPN anymore, so I don't really know what that show is. Uh, but Mike Greenberg is on it, and it's pretty much him defending that the Titans uh, are Super Bowl contenders and that he believes in the team. Uh, he really believes in Ryan Tannehill. Um, but his co-host, Kimberly Martin, is on there, and she is adamant uh, that the Titans have absolutely no chance of winning the AFC, even though they made the AFC championship game two years ago. Uh, but what really got me about this, about what she was saying, is that she had a quote, and she was saying, she was asking uh, Greeny, do you really trust Ryan Tannehill's arm, which is something that just keeps popping up. We've talked about it literally all offseason, uh, but people just simply can't grasp the fact that Tannehill is very good. Uh, and then she says, do you trust Tannehill more than a Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson to win games in the playoffs? And that just made me so angry that that <laughs> I had to, I had to I had to take a step back from my computer because look look man if you're gonna say do you trust him more than Patrick Mahomes absolutely not but Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson two guys who well Lamar Jackson has had continued success but not in the playoffs he's been awful in the playoffs and like that's been a legitimate narrative. Uh, that that's been brought up against him, and it's been warranted because he has not been good in the playoffs at all. He's one and three in the playoffs, and he hasn't been able to move the offense uh, in pretty much any game that he's played in the playoffs. And then you have Baker Mayfield, who has won one game, uh, and he lost the other one. He has had one decent season, even though his roster is completely talented. And then you go to Ryan Tannehill, who hasn't lit the world on fire in the playoffs. But he has as many wins as those two have combined. And I just don't understand why people keep keep underestimating Ryan Tannehill and they look at him as some sort of obstacle for the Titans to get far in the playoffs when, when they have had him, they reach the AFC Championship game. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's yeah. wild. I mean, I guess, I guess we'll see. At what point, and I've told this conspiracy before, and I'll say it again, but even if Tannehill has a good year this year, it's just going to be because Julio Jones came, even if Tannehill makes incredible throws because people just don't don't want to argue with their preconceived notions. It's the whole idea of, it's why people keep saying that there are players with more upside than Tannehill is because they liked him coming out of college. They spoke for him when they were coming out of college. And because they haven't done well yet, all they talk about is upside because you can't look at the past and see anything good. So you have to pretend you can guess at what's coming in the future. All right. That is going to do it for us this week. We had a lot of fun. We certainly thank Caroline Fenton for joining us. Next week, we will be back. The Titans will have played a preseason game. We will recap that. We will look ahead to joint practices with the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and a preseason game against them. Until then, for Will and Matias, I am Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.